Welcome into another episode of We're Talking Tonight. We're talking football with Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. Danny, how are you this evening? Doing great, buddy. Hope you're doing well, too. I am. Life is good right now. I can't complain too much. So, um, big win for your, for your, well, I won't say a big win. Uh, every win's big, I guess. So, uh, nice win for the Eagles this weekend. Any surprises there? Maybe the fact that it took the offense a little bit of time to get going, but with all the new that was in the stadium, I'm talking on the field, in the stands, with some of the cosmetic updates, and of course the indoor practice facility that's taking up more than half of the tailgate lot for this season, but that's going to open up next spring, and that's really going to be a game changer for not just football but for the entire athletic department. But against a Morgan State team that was 2-9 and nine last year, went three and out and then punted again, did get a couple of first downs on that second drive. But once Georgia Southern got into the end zone, Morgan State answered right back, but it was on a pick six. And that that's strange for Georgia Southern to think about because, one, they don't throw it very much. And they ended up throwing it a good bit in the game, but they just don't throw it very much. So pick sixes don't happen very much. That's only the happen time, second time that it's happened at Paulson, I think since 2009. But then they muffed a punt, got a field goal out of it, got another touchdown at the end of the first half on a crazy one-handed diving catch from Derwin Burgess back in the end zone. It was part of scoring the last 52 points. And the way that the second half went is how a lot of fans expected the game to go. Now, for Georgia Southern against FCS teams, it hasn't been very smooth in the last few years. Remember losing to New Hampshire in 2017 in a game that got moved to Birmingham because of Hurricane Irma. But it was a comfortable win. It ended up being a dominant win. Defense did not give up a touchdown. Offense had more than 500 yards. Kyle Van Trees tied a school record with four touchdown passes. So it ended up being a pretty good night. So what was the more surprising part, though? Uh, no red zone opportunities for uh for the deep the, the defense never let them get in the red zone or the four touchdown passes we knew that the ball was probably going to be in the air a little bit more but when you're an option offense anything you don't do is going to be more passing because we're used to seeing 15 throws a game at most but when you do anything that is an option based it, it's going to be more passes. It just so happened that the way the defense dictated the game, Van Trees was able to throw 46 times. He threw touchdowns to four different receivers. That, to me, seemed more likely than not giving up a single red zone snap. And, look, I, I know that FBS is supposed to beat FBS, and they're supposed to beat them by a lot. But most of the time at the end of the game when you're deeper into the depth chart, you do see teams scratch one out, field goal, touchdown, get a cheap year, what have you. But that penetration for Morgan State, that 25-yard line, that was their second drive of the game. The very next snap, lost five yards. Tyler Bride had a tackle for loss. He split two men and took away a gun pitch. Then they got penalized a couple of times, had to punt, and they never got any closer than Georgia Southern's 30 the rest of the game. So that was impressive over those 14 drives. And it, it ended up looking fine. It was probably a case of, oh, here we go again for Eagle fans after seeing three and nine last year and seeing offenses have so much success throwing the football and 
Georgia Southern's offense was most of the time stuck in the mud, only scoring 20 points per game. But when you put put up 59 in your opener, and especially when it's Clay Helton's debut, that has a way of at least making you think that this one is naturally going to be better instead of wondering why 2021 didn't go the way that people hoped it did. Any surprise, though, that you also uh, led the Sun Belt in, in offense with 367 yards? App State scores 60-something points, and, and you have more yards than App State? Well, App State also scored 40 points in the fourth quarter and still lost. I don't know if you'll ever, ever see that again. But, yeah, seeing Georgia Southern lead the league in passing is one of those where you're, oh, okay, maybe they do have this as part of their offense this year. And granted, I, I don't think it's reasonable to expect that the rest of the year, but what I do think is reasonable is that Georgia Southern is going to be as balanced as they ever have been. You've got to be ready to stop those receivers. You've got to be ready to stop those running backs because if you try to focus on one more than the other, the one that you forget about is the one that's going to burn you. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's one of those things. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at red zone defense. Georgia Southern and James Madison were the only two teams in the Sun Belt that didn't allow the other team to get into the red zone. So two nice wins for both programs there. Very much uh, so. Uh ULM allowed five red zone TDs, App State, Troy, and Texas State all allowed four. Uh, no surprise will, really with me with Texas State. Uh, Troy, I thought, would have a little bit better of a defense, but they were playing a pretty powerful offensive team or normally a powerful offensive team in Ole Miss. Yeah, that was an Ole Miss team. That gets forgetting. Ole Miss won 10 games last year, but Matt Corral was the quarterback. Now Matt Corral's in the NFL. I would anticipate them still being pretty good, but in John Summerall's debut, in a way to hold them to 28 points is probably a minor victory. And yeah. I know that the the Troy conversation was, well, Ole Miss won the only game that they ever played, but I think that got removed because of sanctions. I'm not exactly sure what the case was. So technically, Ole Miss and Troy have never played since the game was erased. But I, I do think that Troy got their guy and for some Trojan fans, it was the one that they thought they were going to get a couple of years ago, but give him a few more years' experience as an assistant at Kentucky. And the Georgia Southerns have played Troy this year, but I, I think that they are in really good hands. And apparently Troy fans think so too because they sold over 11,000 season tickets. So I think that they're on, they're on board. Uh, I think so. I just, it'll be interesting to see how quickly he can turn them around. So... um. Lots of games this uh, this weekend. It's kind of weird to say 14 games in the Sun Belt. I mean, I'm kind of looking forward to conference play where you only have seven uh, going on at the same time. How about your biggest surprise, though, out of, out of all the games this weekend? Biggest surprise out of everybody. Oh... See, so you got me thinking now because it's 14 teams, so you got to think about our four new friends. Yeah. Maybe one that we just talked about, App State scoring 40 points in the fourth quarter and still losing. That That's one that I, I don't know that you'll ever see again. Chase Bryce was phenomenal with those six passing touchdowns. I think that their media people said four of those were in the last 10 and a half minutes of the game, but they missed both their two-point conversions, one which would have put them ahead, one which would have tied it. But the one that I think you have to go with is another guy that threw six touchdowns in James Madison's Todd Santeo, a transfer who 
tied the school record and in their first game as an FBS team against another FBS team against Middle Tennessee. That doesn't happen very often for a team to move up a weight class and schedule another FBS team. It looked like they've been doing it for years. They demolished Middle Tennessee at Bridgeforth Stadium. And now I have no idea if that means that James Madison is going to have a great transition, but at least in their first game, they showed a lot like what Georgia Southern just showed. They they put it on the field that, hey, this is what we're capable of, and especially against a team in this classification. Yeah, it's one of those games that I'm not uh, uh, good for them, and I'm not I'm not criticizing their win at all. But I mean, uh, I, I'm you know, Middle Tennessee is still in conference DOA, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do the rest of the year. But good, good, good for James Madison. So, um, I I think that and the other one. I've got to give kudos to Old Dominion hosting Virginia Tech. Now, I don't think either team's offense was that great, but did you get a chance to see any of that game on Friday evening? Yeah, I watched the whole thing. And the reason why that didn't surprise me is because Old Dominion's already done that. They beat them four years ago. So there, there was proof that it was, I guess, in the pudding. And that's actually the start of a 10-year agreement between the two. So it's going to be five games in Blacksburg and five games in Norfolk. So that, that's that's a very unique setup where a supposed G5 and a Power 5, even though those are probably going to go away eventually with the super conferences and the separation. But those two matching up consistently for 10 tries, five with each. But Old Dominion's defense was very good last year. That's, that's the reason why they didn't completely flatline. Remember, they started one and six. But once their offensive line got healthy and they decided on a quarterback, they won their last five and they got to the bowl game. They lost to Tulsa in the Myrtle Beach Bowl. But their defense is the reason why they were able to be somewhat stabilized. They were really good against the run. They lost their top tackler in school history, but they've got a very good secondary. They're deep on the defensive line. And even with their offense, the guy that's going to gain a lot of people's attention because, one, he's that good, but, number two, because he's that big, is their tight end Zach Coons, who's every bit of six feet eight, and you're not gonna, there's just not a whole lot of ways to defend somebody that's that big. That, that's definitely a big boy. Um, how surprised with the? Uh, I, I mean, I know Liberty. You know, they're 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 quarterbacks in the NFL now, and Southern Miss is coming off a a, a down year, but this is year two of the uh, the Will Hall era. Uh, any surprises there that the game was as close as it was? I would say just the fact that it went four overtimes. We, 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 we've all had those where you're there forever, so many different swings, plays that could have changed the game in a lot of conceivable ways. But to start your season with a four-overtime game, and Southern Miss was able to come back and do that, even though they lost their quarterback, Ty Keys. He got hit on a rollout play. It was a, it was a personal foul. I believe the player for – Liberty got ejected for targeting, but he he was knocked out of the game. Will Hall talked about it on the teleconference on Monday. Not sure if he's going to be available going forward, but they're a lot like Georgia Southern with a very proud tradition, a lot of victories, conference championship, bowl games, and they're looking to get things back on track. And I believe that they viewed that game as maybe their first step in doing that and one that I'm sure that they'll tell you they probably should have won. Keys is out. 
they might have to go back to what they were doing a year ago when they were basically running a wildcat the final two games of the season with Frank Gore's son playing the quarterback running back, if you will. I don't know if that's going to happen. they got a really good receiving core, though, so I think that if you focus too much on the run, they can burn you. But at the same time, if you don't have a designated quarterback, that could hamper what they're trying to do. Yeah, we were up in, uh, in at Liberty uh, last year and saw them beat uh, Louisiana Tech on, on the night before, again, using three different running backs as their quarterback. And I believe each one of them threw a touchdown pass. That was the best part of it. So very high on Will Hall and uh, glad to have Southern Miss in the league. I know, uh, like like you said earlier, you know, FBS is supposed to, to beat FCS, but Arkansas State, I mean, a team that was – now, mainly on defense was very bad last year, but still, 58 points uh, uh, and only giving up three to Grambling. Any any surprise there at all? Or Well, considering that no team in the country was worse at giving up big plays last year, and that's a – chief reason why that they were two and ten in year one under butch jones so they're halfway to their win total already and look they were going to be grambling they just were yeah but very similar to what georgia southern did to morgan state you need to prove to yourself that you can make a statement and they established a ground game they've struggled to run the ball it seems like for years they've had good running backs but that's definitely been a passing school regardless of who the coach has been and remember all the turnover they used to have, but they have consistently struggled to have a strong running game, but they got into the end. So I think, I think they rushed for five touchdowns in that game. So they proved that that's a possibility, but defensively I think is where they need to make their strides. It seemed like they did at the end of last year, Rob Harley started to get some things lined up. If they're going to do anything this year, they can't give up big plays like they did last year. Absolutely. Uh, they've, they've got to get better on defense and uh, in quick. Uh, that's that's a team Arkansas State Cajuns have been at a football rivalry with for a long time now. Um, last one, kind of, sort of, Georgia State at South Carolina. Any surprise there? I mean, Georgia State has had the opportunity to defeat Tennessee and Auburn the last couple of years and played played big games pretty well but it, it didn't look like they, they got off to any start there. They, well, they had two punts blocked, which you can't do against anybody, especially against a Power 5 team. They I mean, they go and they beat Tennessee in the probably most embarrassing part of the Jeremy Pruitt era outside of some fast food bags. They almost <laughs> beat they almost beat Auburn last year. They should have beat Auburn last year, thanks to some calls that did not go their way. But now you're seeing with Georgia State, they're a program that's not a walkover. That is a solid program. Smash mouth, power run, very good on both lines, offensive and defensive lines. They understand how to get the running game going and stop the run. They just unable to do anything because of their special teams lapses. And typically, they have at least one of the league's better kickers or punters. It, it's strange how that works out because overall, their special teams haven't been great, but they usually have one of the league's best kickers or punters. And I think now Michael Hayes is doing both of them, but I would still anticipate Georgia State being in the thick of it where you would have never thought that just a couple of years ago, but now it's app, it's coastal. Georgia Southern hopes that they're in that conversation. Of course, Marshall, James, Matt, the East is nuts, and it's going to force teams to be that much better each week, but 
Georgia State is a team that it has earned this league's respect, and they are no longer a squad where it's it's a W. You you need to earn it against everybody. Absolutely, couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I know it's the first week of the season, but you know Southern Miss and Texas State, ten penalties each, and South Alabama with ten with the victory. <laughs> but any any, I mean. South Alabama, I think they could get away with it because they were playing a lesser opponent in um, in Nichols. But at the same time, that's something you got to clean up pretty quick there. Yeah, a year ago, I think they were top 15 in the country in fewest penalties and fewest penalty yards. Now it is only one game, so there's more than enough time to even that out. But good on South for dominating a Nichols program that's pretty solid. I think that was a Nichols program that probably should have beaten them. I want to say they went to overtime in 2016, and there was a two-point conversion that South stopped that prevented them from winning that contest. Carter Bradley, their transfer quarterback, is that's what they are every year, is just getting another transferred quarterback. He had four touchdowns, great arm strength. Many people are saying it's the strongest arm that's ever played there, and that's as good as Jake Bentley was last year, so that's pretty high praise. I, it looks like they finally have a running game. With LaDamian Webb, who spent some time at Florida State, he's finally healthy, had the foot injury. He also had the broken hand back in the spring. He might be the best running back that they've ever had. They've, they've had a couple decent guys, but if he stays healthy, I think that he may go down as having the best season that a running back's had there. Yeah, they, I think they're going to be much improved this year. Uh, and, and I know I'm going to I'm going to screw this next name up. Moving on to, I, I said I was done, but at the same time, how how Spavital Texas State? Oh, did I? How how much of a hot seat is he on now? I mean, I, I know Nevada is a, a is a pretty decent team, but at the same time, when you're talking about peer conferences, those are the games you, you need to win. And it wasn't it didn't look competitive. It was, you know, they beat FIU. I think it was an overtime game last year. And look, FIU is not very good, but still no. that. Texas State struggles to win, period, especially on the road. They look for anything they can to hang their hat on, and that was a game that I truly believe they thought, okay, we finally have this one. Now let's go get some bigger ones. Let's get some bigger ones, and let's show that we can back up having all that we do facility-wise, finance-wise, and being able to get what we can in San Marcos. But for Spav, he's such a good guy. He's a terrific offensive mind. He could easily be an offensive coordinator in the NFL right now if things fell differently. But he's got his quarterback. Lane Hatcher is one of the better pocket quarterbacks in this league, capable runner, but he can sling it. He's fearless. He's one of the hardest workers in this league. Talked with Matt Stoltz about him when he was with Arkansas State. He said in nearly two decades doing this, he's probably the hardest worker he's ever seen. So in terms of a quarterback, they're in good hands. They've just had so much go wrong ever since they moved up to the FBS. I think they've had one seven-win season. It's just been so much losing that – you tr you eventually convince yourself that are we capable of winning? And it, it's it stinks to think about that, but until they do it, you can't say that they're going to. That's what they've kind of backed themselves into. And I hate putting it that way because I think that that is a good program, but they need to show people they can do it before you start believing they can do it. That's where they are. A absolutely. I, I love going there. I love going to Texas State. I love going to St. Marcos. <laughs> and uh, it, it's just, it's a great place to be. The atmosphere is good. I love their football stadium. It's the right size. But at the same time, I've got to believe if he doesn't start winning. Uh, a couple of years ago, they had 
at Baylor, I believe they had Baylor on the ropes. And I really thought that when Baylor came to their place that they would beat Baylor, but that was not the case. So uh, different Baylor team, though, that came in, in into uh, St. Marcus versus uh, uh, up, up, up the road a little bit. Danny, think, well, did you get a chance to, I know you always follow, but uh, thoughts on the Cajuns game? Again, uh, Southeastern, FBS, FCS. Well, I would imagine the conversation was, okay, what's this going to look like post-Billy Napier? And finally having Chandler Fields as the quarterback, even though I felt pretty confident that Woolridge was going to see the field a little bit, whether it was as a true timeshare or whether the league got big enough that you could get some of your biggers in there. But a reasonably close game. I think that there was some flack that Coach Des took for the fourth down play a little bit earlier in that game. Bad call, good call, whatever. It just didn't work out. But remember, it's his second game as a head coach. He yeah. got the interim tag in the bowl game last year in New Orleans. That was going to be tough for Marshall to go down there and win that game. So, But even though it's his only his second game, it's still a 14-game winning streak, and it's the longest active winning streak of anybody in the entire FBS. I, I think it's understandable that Cajun fans are expecting maybe a step back. I still think that a West division is well within the grasp, but with not having Levi Lewis there for the last six years to take the snaps, Chris Smith is probably looking around and thinking, okay, do I have much support behind me that's proven? Not yet. Maybe by the end of the year, the line play for the Cajuns is always good. I think defensively is probably the way that you're going to be carried this year. But you always want the one and zero, regardless of who the opponent is. You want to get that first one, and that's the way it worked out. Yeah, I was a little honestly, I was a little nervous going in the game. Although I thought we had the better athletes and the better team, it's one of those things that you never know what's going to happen, especially with an in-state opponent that's you know seventy minutes away, seventy-five minutes away. So sure. always, uh, always a, a little difficult situation. I really felt like even though. He had the the head coach tag in the bowl game that really wasn't his team. You know, yes, it was officially his first game as a head coach, but to me, this was his first game that this was his team, his say, his guys. You know, he couldn't change much in that two weeks or whatever, whatever it was before the bowl game. And I'm not sure that he wanted to. Why would you want to change something that was working? So. Well, especially when you're an alum and you're a very successful alum, somebody that was the Sun Belt's all-time leading rusher amongst quarterbacks up until 2020, you got to try to live up to what you did on the field. You're a native of there. Everybody knows you. Everybody's probably looking at you a little bit more closely. So that situation is more magnified than maybe a lot of people even would realize. But one down, however many more to go, you got to get that first one. And that's exactly what y'all just did. Well, you know, the other thing is that I, I really think that fans in general have a short memory because um, a, a year ago at the start of the season, it was not the same team that finished the season. You know, a year ago, the Cajuns struggled against Nickel and moved on from, and, and lost the opening game to Texas. So people forget that you're comparing the Billy Napier era at the end of when Billy Napier was here versus, and even if you're talking about, and really not even the beginning of the season, Billy Napier, probably the last three games versus Des in his first game, true game as a head coach. So, 
yeah, you got to be careful that you view things the right way. If you get caught wearing the graduation glasses where everything is nostalgic and, oh, when we did it this way and it should be this way and all that, then that's where you get into trouble. The, the hasty judgments, I'm sure, are going to be there regardless of how good it would have been. You could have won 100 to nothing. There, there still would have been someone or something that would have been on the other side of it. But I would anticipate that there's not a whole lot of people out there that understands the program the way that Des does. And remember, Billy Napier was only seven and seven in year one, won yeah. the West, went to the championship game, but still only seven and seven in that first year. Now went crazy the final three years, but this is going to be a process just like it was when Billy got hired before the 2018 season. Yeah. I, I just, I wish him all the best of luck. Uh, so did you get a chance to see the end of that Florida game there? I saw the interception. We turned it on right after yeah. we finished and we saw the interception in the end zone. Yeah, that's about all I got to see too. So good for Coach Nick. You're down in Florida. Uh, you're listening to We're Talking, Craig Malonso and Danny Reed. Danny, let's go ahead and take a break and we'll come right back. And we'll talk about this week coming up in the Sun Belt. We'll be right back after this brief timeout. <laughs> Welcome back in. We're talking tonight. We're talking football, Sunbelt Conference football with Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. And you can listen to Danny on the Georgia Sports Southern Network. Danny, North Carolina heading into Georgia State. You got uh, North Carolina starting out the season on the road against two Sunbelt Conference teams. Um, a lot of energy taken out of North Carolina last week. Does Georgia State, though, I mean, I, are, do they have an an op a chance. I know they always have a chance. That's I hate that. Do they have a chance of winning this game? <laughs> yeah, um, of course they. Okay. Because they can, run, they can run the football. And okay. When you can run the football, you can control clock, especially if you build a lead. Now, I don't know where North Carolina is mentally. I know that they won, but they probably used a lot more than they were hoping. I, I get that they were going up to Boone and they were expecting a 40,000-seat crowd, biggest crowd in the history of Kid Brewer Stadium. But the way that that game ended with giving up 40 points in the fourth and I think they gave up 650-some yards of offense. So where are they from a can-we-stop-anybody standpoint? Do they think that they have to score 63 points per game to just beat anybody it might be a little bit foolish, but when you've only got one game to go on, you have to watch that film and you have to plan accordingly. And I think Georgia state was in the game long enough against Auburn, but when you have two punts or they were against South Carolina, I'm yeah. sorry. But when you have two block punts, the winning percentage is not very high. So if they thin that out and take advantage with that running game and work in their wide receivers, wherever they can, they'll be in the game. They just can't make mistakes. I agree with you. I, I, I think they cannot give up the big play. They've got to run some clock. You said the running game. Uh, and, and they definitely cannot give up uh, on special teams opportunities to, uh, to, 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 to uh, flop the field, sides of the field. I don't know why I'm stuttering so much now, but hey, that's what I do best. 
uh, Marshall, Notre Dame. Marshall heading into Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame started out the season with a tough game. What is that going to be like for Marshall? Do they have the power, power, firepower? Damn. Oh, they don't have Rasheen Ali back yet. And it, it, it's it's a matter of when he's going to return. If he returns this year, I think he will be back at some point. But he, he's one of the most dynamic players in the entire country, most certainly in the Sun Belt. And I want to say Marshall has been there within the last few years. It's it, I think it's been fairly recent since they went there the last time. But then they're looking at, look, what do you have to lose? You, you just whipped up on Norfolk State. You got your win. But now you're going to South Bend, one of the most hallowed grounds in all of college sports. What do you have to lose against a team that may find its way into the into the discussion for the college football playoff if they don't skip up the rest of the year? I mean, they kind of out themselves with that loss against Ohio State. And when you're not in a conference, you're basically one mistake and that's it. So they've got a lot of work to do. But with Marcus Freeman calling the shots, they're always going to have a chance to get to where they want to go, and especially when they're at home where it's extremely tough to go and win the game against them up there. But if you're Marshall, they've been a program who has long never been afraid of anybody. So for them, this is just another game. Uh, I, I agree. I think they've got a, a fighting chance. They're going to have to uh, they're going to have to move the football, I think, and control the football and play fairly mistake-free. Uh, Old Dominion, East Carolina. This is another game. You're, the the Sun Belt's up against an AAC opponent. Old Dominion played well against Virginia Tech. I'm not sure though that going into East Carolina now, if they're going to have, if they're strong enough to face East East Carolina. Am I am, am I am I missing something here? Well, East Carolina probably should have defeated NC State. You want to talk about North Carolina going on the road to face a G5 team. That's what NC State did last weekend. And if East Carolina makes a field goal at the end of the game, then they're beating NC State. So, yeah, they're probably a little bit ticked off. They've got a quarterback, a lefty named Holden Aylers. It seems like he's been there for about 10 years. But that that's that's a tough ask to try to go and win that game. Yeah, I agree. I, I just I, I'm not sure Old Dominion's there. I think they're getting better. Don't get me wrong. I just don't think they're there. I don't think the uh, offense has has the firepower to do it. South Alabama at Central Michigan, that's a game there. Again, a MAC opponent, similar to what the Cajuns are going to be playing. Uh, South Alabama should be uh, – weather's not going to be issue early enough in the year. Uh, the weather should be nice up, at, up there. Uh, quarterback at South Alabama played in the MAC last season, so face Central Michigan. Should be somewhat familiar uh, opponent. It seems like the Cajuns and, and the uh, Jaguars have played MAC opponents the last couple of years. What's your thoughts on that game? If South Alabama doesn't stop their running game, that's not going to be a very good afternoon because Central Michigan had a guy named Lou Nichols lead the country in rushing last year, better than 1,800 yards, a third-year freshman. They're oh. going to try to establish the run. They did lose one of the top return men and receivers in the country, Khalil Pimpleton, who – got a chance to be on hard knocks because he was trying to make camp with the with the Detroit Lions so he was a pretty cool story to cover over the last few weeks but I would expect a lot of nickels early middle often and if South Alabama cannot slow down that run game it's not going to matter what Carter Bradley does through the year I think that in South Alabama has to clean up the penalties I don't think a team like Central Michigan that's going to control the running game and can control the time of the clock you can't give them extra chances 
uh, App State. I mean, starting the the, the year uh, with with North Carolina at home, now headed to Texas A and M. Uh, I'm not saying Texas A&M struggled against Sam Houston at all because I didn't watch the game. I don't know what reserves were in the game and how they played, but it wasn't one of those games that you normally see Texas A&M, a Texas A&M uh, caliber team go and blow out an FCS opponent. What does App State have to do to win? They've got to do a lot right and hope Texas A&M does a lot wrong because the separation between the haves and the have-nots is maybe as wide as it's ever been. Look, I think App is a fantastic program, and they just showed that they can play with a Power 5 team. Look, they beat North Carolina before. They were competitive with Miami down there. They, in fact, they could have just as easily won that game. They've been able to do this, but when you're going on the road against a Top 5 team, especially one that has recruited exceptionally well with five stars left and five stars right. App can do everything right and still lose this game by 21 points. That's how frustrating this could be for them. But I get the feeling, though, App is is very similar to Marshall that's been in that situation, can go on the road and and is not afraid to play, I guess. But being afraid to play and being able to hang with the team are two two different situations. Yeah, this is one that nobody's going to pick them to win, and they probably shouldn't be picked to win because this is similar to FCS versus FBS. Power 5 would tell you that they should beat the G5 every single time. It's not totally true, especially when you're looking at a case like an App State, but this is going to be a competitive game. I don't, I don't know if there's a point where A&M is going to separate, but this is going to be a competitive game. Okay. Uh, FIU at Texas State. Th- this is a game that I think Texas State has to win. FIU is not a good good program, and I just think if Texas State, their their coaches, are, I have to believe, is already on the hot seat, and it'll only get hotter, and it may change after this game. There is no such thing as a must-win game, but Texas State's got to win this game. Wow. That's very poetic. I like the way you, you stated that. There you go. Eastern Michigan coming to the Cajuns. Uh, I don't know a whole lot about Eastern Michigan. Uh I know the Cajuns played up there a few years back and everything. Um, Matt team, I just think, again, the Sun Belt, if, if they want to separate themselves from the other G5 conferences, have to win these types of games. What does Louisiana have to do to, to beat that? Not a whole lot different from game one. I would say minimize the minimize the mistakes as much as you can. But the one thing that I do remember from Eastern Michigan, remember Georgia Southern played them in the Camellia Bowl four years ago. The one thing that has happened to them since Chris Creighton took over as head coach, they play a boatload of close games. That doesn't mean that Saturday is going to be a close game, but that program has been in a lot of close games. Whether the team has changed dramatically or not, they, they find a way to make things close. So even though the game is at Cajun Field, don't anticipate this being a comfortable victory, but if the Cajuns do what they're supposed to do, it could very well be a comfortable victory. That's the way I'll put it. Well, if it's anything like last weekend, I'm sure the mosquitoes will be large enough to carry some of their players away. Oh, my gosh, the mosquitoes were horrible. You just never know. All right, uh, one more game. I, I, I hesitate to ask you about it, but at the same time, is Scott Frost – 
after losing last week in Nebraska? Is he on the hot seat? I mean, he's been on the hot seat, it seems like, since he, he's got in there at Nebraska. Um, what, what, what does Georgia Southern have to do right here? Don't be intimidated by the environment. And what's going to help that in part is that Georgia Southern has 11 guys on the roster that are playing in at least their sixth year of college football. Many of the guys have played in front of big crowds at Auburn, Clemson, LSU, Minnesota over the years. These, these guys, they've been tested. They get what it's like to walk into a situation like this. And one thing you need to do to a tree that's tipping, don't keep it from falling over. Because it's clear that somebody has taken an ax to that Nebraska tree a lot. It's, it's leaning. Don't prop it up. Just gently help it keep tipping over. And then in a couple of weeks, when Scott Frost buyout drops from $15 million to $7.5 million, make that a much easier decision for the athletic department. Still got to be able to execute. But Nebraska is not a team that needs to believe it can win. They just pulled one out last week against North Dakota. But even so, that was a 17-17 game late in the third quarter. So even though they won by three scores, it took them a while to do that to an FCS team. We were saying, well, it took Georgia Southern a while to do it to Morgan State. Valid point. But when the levy broke, it broke. Yeah. If Nebraska would have done it earlier, they could have won 56 to 17 or whatever the score ended up being. But the things that hold them back, the lack of scoring in the red zone, not good special teams, not tackling well in the open field, you can't get away with it as much when you step up a level. And yes, group of five is a step up from FCS. And considering how much athleticism Georgia Southern has used on the outside now, Eagles are going to have a shot, but they they can't limit themselves if they drop the ball, literally, figuratively, if they have pre-snap penalties, if they have mental mistakes, and they need to be able to pounce. I think they need to force at least two turnovers to steal a couple of possessions and keep that offense from scoring. I said lastly on the last one, but I got to ask you, what 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 percentage do you give Arkansas State at Ohio State? I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't ask you that. I'm not going to ask you. We're going to take that away. And, uh, but I just, I'm like, why do you hate your coach, AD? Well, they don't hate their pocketbooks. That's why they're playing that game. Yeah, I, I understand that as well. And I don't know, the game was probably uh, what scheduled a, three or four years ago. I mean, that's a 100,000-seat stadium going to the horseshoe. That That's something that, that, that that's awesome. And yeah. I know Arkansas State has played just about every every major Power Five school, and something that Terry Mahajer was really good at when he was director of athletics. He not only got those games, but they got large payouts. So they were able to fill what's already pretty stuffed coffers with them with their finances. But they've been everywhere. Another another team that, that isn't going to be phased by it, even though Ohio State's probably going to be in the college football playoff this year. And Jigba is one of the best receivers in the country. Just another thing like Marshall. What do you have to lose? Nobody expects you to stay within eight touchdowns of Ohio State's. See what happens. Force a couple turnovers, run a couple trick plays, don't give it back to them. See what happens. Uh, it, exactly. You have nothing to lose. I mean, and, and, and you're getting that big paycheck. And the one thing that Arkansas State, in my opinion, has done is that they've made upgrades to their stadiums with those big paychecks. And, and uh, they've got a nice-looking stadium right now. So, all right, Danny. I appreciate your time, unless you have anything else that I didn't talk about that you're so inclined to give out 
as uh, Sunbelt knowledge? It, it seems like there's a good number of schools that are stepping up in weight class this week. Typically, that's reserved for week one. But it's nice to see that the Sunbelt has gone from the doormat because for a number of years, they were the league that everybody would look to get that first win. But now the Sunbelt is the team that's stepping on the doormat. That's the kind of shift in culture, I guess you would say, that's taken place. I, I, I would go back five or six years, and really more specifically since the COVID year when the league got so much exposure with all the national TV time available with so many leagues opting not to play. But it is – the league has really taken hold of this. The league is a, is a force. It's going to be even a bigger force. And I'll make a claim that somebody knocks off somebody this week. I don't know who and I don't know where, but a Sunbelt school will knock off a Power 5 school this week. Well, I hope they do. And uh, good luck to all the teams this weekend. So you've been listening to We're Talking tonight. We've been talking football, Sunbelt Conference football with Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. Again, you can listen to Danny on the Georgia Southern Sports Network. We'll talk to Danny next week, and we'll have a good time again. Thanks, Danny. Thanks, buddy. Any redistribution or reproduction of any part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited, except, ah, who the hell are we kidding? Distribute it, share it, put it in your podcast, broadcast it, or put it on social media. Just give credit where credit's due.